don't be afraid what the world thinks because life's far too short. Welcome to The Lavenderit Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to shine as your brightest self and create your dream life. We all have a light within and the power to create a life we love. Every Sunday, we'll share thoughtful conversations exploring how we can build a better future for ourselves and our world. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hello, my loves. Welcome back to the Lavender Lifestyle Podcast. It's Eileen. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with the famous anonymous poet Atticus, where we talk about poetry, art, anonymity, entrepreneurship, relationships, and more. Atticus, the anonymous New York Times bestselling author of Love Her Wild, The Dark Between Stars, and The Truth About Magic, has taken the world by storm with his beautiful poetry and powerful, simple themes of love and strength of the human spirit. His fourth poetry collection, LVOE, is an exploration of self-love, meditation, meaning, loss, and romance. LVOE is a look forward, a look backward, but most importantly, a look inward to the often confusing yet hopeful human experience. Hello, Atticus. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. It's nice (laughs) to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I I think you're very interesting. First off, you're my first anonymous guest. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's not that many of us. Yeah. So can you tell us your story on how you became a poet and why you decided to remain anonymous? Yeah, it's actually kind of serendipitous. So I never in a million years thought I was going to, well, for one, I had a, I would have anything to say and certainly didn't think I'd ever become a poet growing up. I was on this trip to France and I had a, a lucky meeting with uh, an actor, a guy named Michael Madsen. And I don't know if you know who that is, but he's like the the bad guy from Kill Bill oh, and Reservoir Dogs cool. and, and a Justin Bieber music video. And him and I became quite close friends. And one of the things he taught me was that he poetry had saved his life. And he'd struggled with addiction and trouble with the law and things. And he very much attributed poetry to saving his life. And this was really interesting for me, you know, growing up as a, as a guy in Canada, here was this archetype of a badass kind of guy. And he was writing poetry. And I think that was the first time that someone kind of like an elder in the tribe had given me permission to to explore like a more vulnerable side of myself. And it was a few days later, I was in in Paris for also the first time I'd ever been there. And and I wrote my first poem then. And did you post it immediately? (laughs) Uh, I didn't post it immediately. I, I, so I came back from that trip and, um, I had an old typewriter there and I, and I was like, you know, I'll just type it up on the typewriter. And someone saw it. I was like, oh, you should post it on, on Instagram. Instagram was kind of just getting started. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a really cool idea. And, you know, you asked about that anonymity thing. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do it anonymously. uh, So it doesn't kind of bleed into the rest of my life. And I, I think if I'm honest with myself, it's, I was like very shy about this like newfound passion at the time. And yeah. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it anonymously. And it was the full story is about a few months after that, a friend passed away and he was uh, a friend who had a certain level of fame, quite a lot of fame. And he was from the same small island I was from. And 
he passed away in a hotel room in Vancouver. Oh my gosh. He was on the television show Glee. I always felt it was it was um kind of complications of, of fame and and so, you know, I kind of made a commitment to myself, hey, you know, no matter how big this gets, let's keep the anonymity, let's keep the mask on. Right. So you saw the dangers of fame and you really wanted to keep like your regular life, no matter what happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um a lot of people in that position would say that that fame is a double-edged sword and and you've got to be really sure that it's what you want before you kind of get it. And, you know, for me, it was, it was an experiment and it still is of, mm. can you kind of spread art in the world? Can you spread your message and do it anonymously without, without kind of being recognized? Yeah. Okay. I'm curious. You said that was when you got into poetry. So have you been writing or creating in other forms before you started writing, writing po poetry? Like what was your life before? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always had kind of creative outlets. I've always been very creative. I read a lot as a, as a kid, you know, I just read nonstop. And I remember thinking back, I, I remember my mom hit a Jack Kerouac book on my bookshelf. And of course me being a, a uh, 14 year old kid was convinced that I discovered Jack Kerouac, but my mom was just very smart in how she planted it. And, you know, I, I had these um, interactions with poets and writers and I loved the classics. I loved the kind of the Bukowskis and Frosts of the world. And, and that's what got me into poetry, but I never, never thought I had anything to say. I still don't, but I think that's kind of the artist's curse. But yeah, you know, it's, um, it happened very serendipitously and um, it's been a wonderful journey of creativity. And I've, I've met so many other young people who are, who are writers and interacted. It's been, it's been a wonderful experience. Right. I mean, what was that timeline like when you started posting as Atticus? Was it just a hobby for a while before it became a business? Like at what, you know, what was that story like? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I never expected it to be anything. And, and so I just started posting and then kind of got some traction and people started sharing it. And then I think Shay Mitchell, if, if you know who that is, wonderful mm -hmm. human. I think she was the one of the first people to find it and she started posting it and then lots of people started sharing it. And I think the big turning point was when people started getting the words tattooed, it, which as like a writer is very, very disarming <laughs> because all you can think of is like, I hope there was good grammar in that. <laughs> right. But yeah, you know, and then hundreds of, and then thousands of people started getting it tattooed, which was just, I mean, it's just a very humbling, huge surprise. And one thing I've always loved about the tattoos is that people kind of take the words and make them in, create their own meaning behind it and put it on their skin and it, it becomes their art. It's like no longer mine. And it, I love that kind of transference of, of meaning and art. And I think that's what it's all about, really. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I guess in the beginning, what gave you the confidence to post your work or was it easy because it was anonymous? I think like looking back, I, I think the fact that I'm anonymous has allowed me to just put a barrier between the account and the following and my words. I think it's helped me write truthfully. And it's like, it's very imperfect, obviously, but you know, I do my best to write vulnerably and you know, it's a constant and consistent battle. But yeah, you know, I, I think it really has helped helped me. And I do have that buffer. I sometimes forget people are kind of uh, reading at all. 
And again, I think it's the, maybe it's the artist curse or the writer's curse, or maybe it's just me, but you know, I never expect anyone to show up to anything. Like I never expect people <laughs> to, to buy any my books or I never, you know, I've done a couple book signings and things where I'll wear a mask and sign books and I never expect someone to show up to that. And I'm very surprised yeah. when people do. So yeah, I, I think it has helped me just kind of remain hopefully true to the words. Yeah. Like I, I can tell that you, you truly are a creative and you talk about that curse. I mean, do you still experience like that fear before, before sharing something or, you know, how do you get over these insecurities as an artist? Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, I think that being anonymous has helped, helped me do that. You know, I think it does take a lot of courage. I think luckily there are great communities of writers and artists and creatives online. And I, I think for the most part, they're very supportive of each other. You know, so many people helped me as I was kind of coming up and getting my first book published and people just helped a lot and sharing it. And, and so, you know, along the way, I've tried to help a lot of people in the same way that I was helped. And I think I've helped, you know, 15, 20 poets at this point, just mm. get their works published and just like help them navigate through finding an editor or finding a, or finding a publisher or finding an agent and just like when and where to, to publish. And so I think there's like a really cool ripple effect of that. But point being that um, the community is really supportive of each other, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome that we, I guess we don't understand like behind the scenes that you're doing this kind of thing as well, like helping other poets and right. That's like a whole other world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there is two sides to this thing and I, like, I'm sure you find it in, in your world as well, but there's kind of like this balance of business and creativity and it's hard to wear both hats and it's hard to kind of switch from one to the other, but they're both kind of equally important. Mm -hmm. I really love both sides of it. You know, I love the writing and I love the kind of business side of things as well. So yeah, it just has always made sense. Just like so many people help me. Like why, why wouldn't yeah. I help people coming up? It makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Let's take a break for today's sponsor, Clinique. I always appreciate when a product is clinically tested to be effective, which is why I'm excited to partner with Clinique. Meet Clinique's first foundation designed to be the last step in your skincare routine. Even better, Clinical Serum Foundation is formulated with three serum technologies that visibly reduce dark spots, brighten, and hydrate the skin. I personally love when makeup can double as skincare, and that's exactly what this product is. Foundation doesn't do it justice. This is Clinical Foundation, built with three serum technologies, and it even gives UV protection. Available in 42 shades, this hydrating foundation formula provides buildable, medium to full coverage with a satin finish. In as little as eight weeks, skin appears more even-toned, radiant, and smoother even after makeup is removed. Plus, the glass bottle is recyclable with its more sustainable packaging. Don't call it makeup. This is skincare in just your shade. Find your shade this holiday season at Clinique.com. I do want to ask you about both parts, but let's start with the creative part. I'm curious, what is your creative process? What does that look like? Uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of changes and evolves, but, um, you know, these days as I try to become more consistent, I'll kind of wake up, do some breath work, meditate, and then I'll just mm -hmm. have a coffee and jump into to writing for as long as like my brain can handle it. And then... At some point I'll have given all I can give and, and then I'll switch to like emails. And the trick is like 
don't get into emails mm. for me anyways, it, you know, don't get into emails early because as soon as you start reading, your head starts spinning in that side of your brain. It's really hard to get back into the creative. Yeah. So that, that's kind of what I did do now. And sometimes I'll write really late at night, kind of when the world's asleep. I used to have this little writing shack on my property and uh, I'd go in there and it'd be like, I'd be surrounded by all my favorite inspirational things, typewriters and uh, cool. like paintings and books. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was very inspiring. And so that really helped me kind of get in the flow. But, uh, you know, two of my books, I literally moved to, to Paris and rented a tiny apartment in the first that was up like five flights of stairs. It was an attic and, but the, it was beautiful. And the, you know, windows opened over the rooftops of Paris. And I, I wrote all my books from there. I just drink coffee and write. And, that is so cool. That sounds like the that image is like a movie, right? It's like the writer in Paris, like renting a little room, but it's very romantic. And I, I mean, I can relate to this. Like, do you feel like your environment really uh, inspires you? Like you have to feel good in your environment. Oh yeah, ab absolutely. You know, I think some people, everyone's different and some people can kind of put up that, uh, that buffer and they really jump into their imagination. But I've always found the places I am are kind of real hacks to, to inspiration because, you know, a place like Paris mm -hmm. or a place like Brooklyn or New Orleans or like, I think every city's got their, their kind of inspiration hidden, hidden deep within. But, you know, if you can find, if you can like hook onto that, the words just like, just for, this is just from my perspective, yeah. they just like, they flow, yeah. you know, you just kind of look around yeah. and say what say what you're feeling, say what you're seeing. And mm -hmm. it's just like a, it's almost like a cheat. No, I, I totally understand. Do you ever look back at your like first or second books or any previous works and you're like, wow, I wouldn't write that now. Or like, you, you know, like it was like your mind was in a different place because it was inspired by that location. Yeah, I do. Um, I think I try to honor like where I was in those positions, but or in those places. But yeah, totally. I mean, again, the, the writer's curse, it's like, I struggle with everything I've, I've written and nothing's finished and like I'd change everything. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I think, I think it's a pretty, it's a story as old as time. Yeah. Yeah. Totally get it. So out of, you know, in your regular life now, like how much time are, is spent writing and how much time is spent doing like other things, the business side and everything else? Yeah. I mean, it depends. It's like, if I got a book coming up, it, you know, it, it commands a lot of time and I think it was like 60% when I don't have a book going in the funnels, it's more like 20% of the time. So basically I should write much more than I do. And I get mad at myself because I don't, you know, you know, you see someone like Stephen King who can just put out a couple of books a year and it's just astonishing, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't, no need to compare yourself. I think you're doing great. I would never compare myself to, to Stephen King in a real way. He literally has that book on writing. Like he's like an expert on writing. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> I mean, that's an amazing book for anyone looking for, yeah. for just kind of like tips and, and tricks. Uh, Stephen King on writing. Yeah, good, good suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. What are your like, I guess, favorite books that you share with writers or creatives? I mean, Jack Kerouac on the road, for sure. You know, there's uh, mm -hmm. there's some really beautiful Mary Oliver all of her books. If you're not familiar with her, she's a, like a very well-known like nature poet mm. who passed away not too long ago. 
unfortunately. But um, yeah, there's some great Robert Frost, Walt Whitman, you know, I gravitate towards like the kind of Hunter S. Thompson's and Bukowski's, <laughs> but less so these days. They, they're like, I find them pretty dark, dark these days. And then, you know, Sylvia Plath. And mm-hmm. I love Fitzgerald. I don't know if you like, uh, yeah. if you read any Fitzgerald, the Gatsby and his prose, I find is just lyrical and poetic. And I could just read Fitzgerald quotes for forever. I mean, I, I think he's one of the most beautiful writers on, on the, in the history, honestly. Yeah. Amazing. I love the way you talk about writers because you're on another level on how much you appreciate the craft. Um, and it makes me more curious as you're writing your poetry, like, like, do you, does it just flow or do you like deconstruct sentences? You know, what's your, how do you come out, come up with things? (laughs) I mean, it's a really good question. I think throughout, I have like a notepad on my phone. And so like, as I'm going through life, I'll, I'll write down like little sparks of ideas, like, you know, I'll see something and it's like, I, I know it, it could be a spark of a poem or it's a concept or it's a turn of phrase. And I'll just store that and then I'll come back to it and in like a more, more of a writing session and kind of try to build them out. And some of them work, some of them don't. And I don't think it's the, the right method, but I'm like, I'm very kind of ADHD in a sense of like jumping around a lot. Mm-hmm. between poems like uh, mm-hmm. ah that one's not working I'm going to jump to the next one I'm going to jump to the next one and that's just kind of how my mind works and I always look at the writers who can just like sit down and write in a straight line and um, I'm like is that a myth <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm sure there's a lot of like editing and I don't know <laughs> yeah I, I mean I think so you know you hear kind of rumors of how the Stephen Kings and the Martin uh, Game of Thrones, and, you know, those kind of writers, but it is a myth for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, do you have dreams of writing anything like long form, like whether it's a novel or a script or I don't know, just wondering. Yeah, I do. Oh, actually, cool. I'm believe it or not halfway through a novel. Yeah. Ooh. And I, I'd love to finish it. And then I have a grand dreams of coming out with some children's books. Mm. Some really fun children's books. That'll be a bit of a departure, but um, yeah, I'm very excited about at those ones as well. Because yeah, I think it could be, I think it'd be fun. You know, it's just like a, I'm always looking for the kind of new, new next fun way to be creative and bring like my whole thing in life is is like I really love poetry and I I I love bringing more poetry into the world. However, again through merch I make, like jewelry and clothes, and you know the wine. I feel like wine is is poetry and i've loved building out that brand because it is wine and poetry go so well together and i haven't really told anyone this but i'm launching a a coffee line called poet and yeah i'm excited about that too you know it's just like i just kind of follow my my um passions and like i drink a lot of coffee and and, (laughs) and i wanted some really really high quality coffee that was similar to the coffee that i'd always drink in europe and then i couldn't ever find in in America and that would just like help me write really well. I mean, you know, I might just be kind of more sensitive to this stuff, but like I find the right cup of coffee will either make my writing session or not. (laughs) Yeah. You're very particular. Yeah. No, no, that's uh, awesome though. I love it. It's a whole lifestyle, this aesthetic, this poet, this, like, I love it. It's (laughs) fun. I'm loving fun. Um, Can you share your favorite piece that you've ever written? 
I can. I wonder if I could bring it up here. So uh, yeah. <laughs> you caught me off guard. And by the way, Get it, give us a real reading, a live reading. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'm I'm terrible just like in general at remembering my own poetry. I think that's like oh, it's okay. I you know, I'm why, sure you've read all stuff. It's yeah. But uh, but this one just happens happens to be on my desktop, so I'll I'll read it for you. And it's called um. It's called my my fate, and I I use it as uh, I've done a I've ordained a couple of weddings for mm-hmm. for friends and people, and I've used it as a as a wedding prayer. Nice. So it's called my fate. Does the sun promise to shine? No, but it will. Even behind the darkest clouds, it will. And no promise will make it shine longer or brighter, for that is its fate: to burn until it can burn no more. So to love you is not my promise, it is my fate, to burn for you until I can burn no more. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote it for my little sister and her husband when they got married, and so it's got sentimental value for me. And uh, I've used it at a few other weddings now. Yeah, just kind of like the idea of someone's fate is like my fate is to love you kind of thing mm, yeah yeah love it so much it, e- even you reading it live like i get little goosebumps because like i feel oh. it you know <laughs> oh you're so cute thank you it's so interesting what what poetry what art can do um okay it is quite remarkable isn't it just like sorry i know you're gonna no, say no, something but okay. uh yeah you know it's like the the emotion that music can can bring out from us or even like seeing a painting and, and what that can feel like or photography or dance or, you know, whatever it is, it's like art yeah. as this yeah. real language to say what words, what words can't. Mm, yeah. And I even think there's like, if in, there's like a vibration of the piece, like a vibration in your voice, obviously, but like in the words themselves that like take you somewhere else. If you understand what I'm trying to say, yeah, it's, it's, absolutely. It's yeah, yeah. So it kind of transports you from your like reality into somewhere else to some elicit some other powerful feeling. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's almost like we're entering your flow as you were writing the piece. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's true. It's like you know, it's like when Adele sings her song, you're kind of you're like in. you're in there yeah. with her. You're you're in that breakup. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're in another world with her. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's really powerful, and it all it also connects okay. people. I have another question. Um, what is a piece that you wrote where the reception surprised you? Like maybe you're like, oh, this one's not that good, and people love it, or or the opposite. Has there been like any surprising? Yeah, pieces? you know, I had this really long poem, and it's actually in my new book, LVOE. It's called Love Her But Leave Her Wild. And and it was so funny because I'd posted it once like years ago and someone just kind of took the title and ran with it. And then like someone got it tattooed and then another people person got it tattooed and they just took that title and like it became the most tattooed poem by far of my Love Her But Leave Her Wild. And that was a real surprise. You know, it's like that they kind of created their their own meaning behind it. And I love that. So like, this is the first time I'm getting to chance to, to post uh, or to share the and publish the the longer version of it, which I'm excited. 
Mm. Oh, so you didn't even share the long version yet? You'd only share that line? I mean, I think it's been on my Instagram years back, but I've never, I've never since then shared the full version. And so it's kind of exciting to kind of to share that with the world. But yeah, that was, that was very surprising for me. I do want to ask a little bit more about your anonymity. So I'm, I'm curious, do you, how anonymous do you remain about your poet identity in real life? <laughs> like, do people in your life know that you're Atticus? And how do you ensure everyone keeps it a secret? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like careful about it. Like if I don't know somebody, I'm not going to say anything. But if someone's close to me at this point, I'm, you know, and someone mentions something, then I'm, I'm very open about it. I'm not too shy about it. And the reason being is that like for me more than anything mm-hmm. is like, well, for one thing, people I trust are people I trust. And, and two is that, um, you know, it's very symbolic for me. It's become like a symbol for me of, of like in proud protest to fame and recognition, I, I'm trying to say spread art without fame. Like, you know, why, why do you want to be famous? So you get given free things. So you sell a few more books. So you get like, brand deals. It's like, you know, you can have a lot of um, happiness and fulfillment without mm-hmm. being recognized. And, and um, you know, those, those like little bits of uh, dopamine you get when somebody's like, oh, hey, you know, like you're, you're this person, distant from my friends who are famous. I think it's kind of like a drug and it's, it's a little bit dangerous. And so for me, it's, it's just, it's a, big experiment and, you know, maybe it'll, it won't work, but, um, I'm very proud to be anonymous and I, and I, for, for the foreseeable future, will always stay anonymous. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Even in my experience, I'm not that people recognize me on the street. I'm actually ha- like, although it might happen once in a while, but I'm actually happy that I can live my life like a normal person. Even if I am yeah. known online, I like still having that ability because if you were like an a-list celebrity like you there's so much that you can't do in public yeah right so yeah i think fame is not it's it's really not that great (laughs) it's not what people make it out to be yeah and i'm like by the way it works really really well for some people they can control it and Mm -hmm. and you know they're very um social people and so they kind of they like live on that energy I think it gets dangerous for when people are more creative and insular and they're, you know, less social and they get this huge amount of fame and suddenly like people are always kind of vying for their attention and coming up. And I think that's where it gets really dangerous. People like Heath Ledger, who's like such an incredible, wonderful actor, but he's like an insular, he was like a very insular person. And, and I think fame was, it was tricky, you know, it was, it was really hard on him and yeah. Yeah. Um, are there ever times that you regret wearing the mask and being anonymous or is it, are you completely like, it's been great? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's like, sometimes I'm like, am I being like truly authentic? Am I saying like, be vulnerable? And then I wear a mask mm-hmm. and it's like, is that a kind of contradiction? And, you know, and my God, it would just make my life so much more, e- so much easier. You know, it'd be nice to just be on video with you here. It's just like, you know, I, I find that that's how I kind of relate to people is just meeting them one-on-one and kind of like laughing and smiling and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like my publisher, like, hey, you'd sell way more books. You'd be way more famous. We could get you on the Today Show and yada, yada. So, you know, there are times when I'm like, oh God, it'd just be so much easier to not be. But um, 
you know, it's, it's like, I just got to remind myself, it's like, well, for, to what ends, you know, it's like, am I doing it for the right reasons? And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a, an actor and he, he had a, has a famous quote that says, if if you want to become rich and famous, become rich first and see if you still want to be famous. And I think there's something, something to that. Not that money has the answers to anything, but I think it's just kind of like Mm -hmm. a warning of like, what are you looking for? Are you looking for success? Are you looking for people to recognize you on a, on a street? So. Right. When people think, I think people think they want to be famous, but what they want is just the success that, that fame brings. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can have money without fame. Yeah. You can, I mean, you know, I, I would wager that, that some people, that many people that don't have fame or money are living for much higher quality of qualities of life than, right. than very, very wealthy, famous people. I, you know, yeah. And like definitely. I said, there's tons of exceptions. I know, I know a lot of very, very famous people who live, who live wonderful and fulfilled and balanced lives. They're able to kind of manage it really, really well. But yeah, I mean, I think it would be, it would be tricky for me, you know, who just like loves to, you know, walk in the grocery store and, be kind of a goof and or like walk down a little street in Paris and take pictures of weird things, you know. <laughs> I think if I was getting recognized all the time, it'd be it would be for the wrong reasons. Right, right. And even if you think of writers traditionally, it's like they're famous for their work, not for like who, you know, they're not people you recognize on the street anyway. And it's like you want to focus people towards your art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think this helps keep it about the words and less about who I am. And one thing I've always right, loved. So right. I, I, on one of these signings that I, that I did where I showed up in a mask, I had kind of like a, a reflective mask going on. And mm-hmm. this woman stood up at the end and she goes, I don't know why you chose to wear a mask, but I love that it's reflective. So, because I think people can oh, see themselves in you. That's so metaphorical for your work because your work is a mirror for people. <laughs> wow. I see it. Yeah. It's like so beautiful. I was like, oh God, can I have that? Yeah. Can I use it as a poem or like you're... you? <laughs> use that somewhere. It's like Atticus is not a person. Atticus is the mirror for you to see yourself. Yeah. I, you know, right? I think it's beautiful. And it's like what I was talking yeah. about with the, with the tattoos. It's like Atticus can be whoever mm-hmm. you want him or her to be. And it's, uh, I love it when people kind of, you know, take the poetry, change the pronouns, mix up words, like, you know, make it theirs. And it's like, they're making it a mirror and that's, mm-hmm. that's what's important. But it's not like, it doesn't matter who I am. You know, it really doesn't. It's about right. the words. Right. You either like them or you don't. And if you don't, that's all good. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that idea of like, you create the art, but it's not yours. Like it can become someone else's. So do you... Uh, I know as a creative, you can get tied with your work, like your self-worth gets tied up with your work where like, if people don't like it, you feel bad about yourself. Do you still have that? Or do you kind of like post it and like give it away and don't like you, are you able to detach or do you still have that attachment? I would say I'm, I'm able to detach more than a lot of people just because of the, the anonymity. You know, I think I, I try not to take as much personally and I am insulated from it a bit. But yeah, I mean, I think we're all just human and I think we can still get affected by it or, you know, if someone says something cool and you're, you right. know, it's like a dagger. And I just think that's, that's just how it works. You know, it's hard to be always stoic about these things, but a great power if you mm-hmm. are. Yeah. 
Okay, so I I want to shift the conversation to talk about the business side. Um, how did you turn your art into a business? Because you have so many things going on. You have a whole shop. You you mentioned like the coffee, the wine. Um, I guess what were the first steps? What's your entrepreneurship story? Like I said, I think it 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 all stems from like a real interest in in both sides. Like um, I really just enjoy both sides of it, and you know I think it was very important to me from the beginning that anything that I do be one, really authentic and two, like I'm very passionate about it. And so the merchandise is like, we take a lot of care in what we create. It's like not just pop sockets and things like that. You know, we, we really, it takes a long time to create these items and, and we're really careful about it and each piece of jewelry and shirt and whatnot. And then for the wine, it was the same thing. It's like, I was writing so much about wine and vineyards and that kind of lifestyles that it was just such a natural thing I felt for me to be like, like, I'm very passionate about wine. I love drinking red wine and, and rosé and it just kind of made sense and it was authentic. And that was a, a partnership with a, a wine subscription service called Wink. They're like one of the bigger ones in, uh, in America, W-I-N-C. And and my, we have a brand together called Lost Poet Wine. And so that's where that business came from. And the coffee was the same, you know, it's like, I realized that I just wanted higher quality coffee. And I started this company with actually one of Elon Musk's cousins, really, really wonderful guy and, and a few other partners. And it's all completely electric, digital roasting, oh, zero emissions. Cool. <laughs> yeah, all. I didn't even yeah, think yeah, about I that. Know. For I coffee. mean, it, you know, <laughs> we're kind of leading the world yeah. charge on on this, and yeah, it's like it's completely zero emissions, and all the farmers are are female, women own farms in South America, and you know, it's been it's been amazing to just like this journey of kind of coming up with the highest quality possible coffee that we can come up with, and. The incredible thing about doing small batch, high iteration coffee is that you're iterating like 10 times a day. And so you're refining the taste of a coffee 10 times a day. And Starbucks probably doesn't do that in a year. So you get a real advantage of, of doing these small, small batch, high iteration. And the kind of, I think the flavor on um, taste of this coffee is incredible because it doesn't have any of those gas fumes that all coffee roasting has always had, you know, it's not roasted over with gas burners. It's, it's roasted um, with electric heat. So yeah. I just think the whole experience is wonderful. But again, I'm biased. Do you drink coffee? <laughs> or I actually, I'm more of a tea drinker. I don't, I don't love, I'm so sensitive to caffeine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would I love know. to try so, it because it's like made in a different way. And it's like you, the thought that you put into it. That's so interesting. Well, I don't want you to like fire you up so much, but you know, with, with, uh, too much coffee, but you can take a, like a little, yeah. you can take a little sip. I'll send you some and I'd love to know what you think, but maybe I'll get into tea after. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So it sounds like you, you find partners to like start these different business concepts with like what generally, what is the main role that you play in these businesses then? Like, are you really involved in the product? Is it more just marketing? Yeah, that's a, actually a great question. I'm someone who likes to do a lot of things. And so part of why I think I've been able to do a lot of things is bringing in the right people and getting the right partners excited and not being scared to kind of share in the, in the returns, you know, and mm -hmm. get everyone incentivized and in working towards a common goal. And I think when you do that, 
you're able to do a lot of a lot of different things. And so both coffee, merch, wine, all the books, they're all things that have real, really um, incredible teams behind them. And they're, I would say, partners that we grow it together. And so I do a lot of the the marketing, the kind of branding, the kind of conceptually, the ideation and and kind of more experiential stuff and weaving poetry throughout it and then leave the building for the pros, you know, like the the people who are roasting the coffee are the best in the world. You know, that they came from that company Blue Bottle. You know, they're they're the best of the best of the best. They're so passionate about coffee and I follow them. And the wine was the same thing. It's like the best. It was a group of master psalms that came together and we came up with the exact wine we want. And that's why like, you know, if you go, it's not just a white label. It, these things are, are started years before and, yeah. and spend a lot of time. And that's why the wine's got like a 90, 92 rating, which is kind of unheard of for a California red first blend. You know, it's it came out of nowhere. And, uh, the coffee is too, you know, it's like, it's already being considered for all these awards and it like hasn't even been released yet. I mean, I think you can find it secretly, but yeah. So, you know, it's just like care and attention. And, and I think people recognize that and you just want these things to be real and authentic. And the last thing I'd want is, is for someone to think that it was just a white label. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we got Starbucks coffee. I'm harping on Starbucks. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of just yeah. you know, like <laughs> no, buy bulk it, beans and stre- put a, put a, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what I was what what I was right. fighting against, yeah. honestly, of what why I started the coffee journey and yeah. And I, I'm curious. So, is it like you came up with a coffee idea first, and then you found these people, or did did these people like kind of pitch you? Hey, do you want to make a wine or a coffee? It happened in different ways. So the the wine, I knew the CEO. And we were friends of friends and we just kind of started talking and I'd always wanted to do a wine and I, and I you know, I can't remember who said it first, but I, either I was like, hey, you know, we should explore doing a wine or he was like, hey, I love your brand and would you want to do a wine together? And that's mm-hmm. how it started. And the coffee was the same thing. Atticus was quite well established at that point. And I'd always been interested to do teas or coffee just because I was so passionate about it. And um, my friend was was starting this like all electric, uh, electric roasting, zero emission company. And he's like, oh, Mark, we should do this together. That, that company's called Bellwether. That's cool. And that's who yeah. makes uh, Poet Coffee. But oh, yeah, awesome. that's kind of how, how it happened. It was, it was very serendipitous. But I think the greatest lesson that I've learned is that you, you just you put those things out in the world and you'd be amazing what comes back to you. You know, you just kind of, people want to connect dots. They want to make things happen and people love it. You know, so it's like, if you have a dream like that, don't be afraid to kind of talk about it. And, you know, there is power in holding things close, but there's also a real power in just like utilizing your network, talking to people and sharing your dreams so people can help you. Yeah, I think this is amazing because it's, I think so many creatives out there don't know how to turn their art into business. And then this, like your story of it's not just you doing everything. You you find the right people and you focus on the part that you want to focus on. I think that's a key lesson. Um, do you have any other advice you can give to creators out there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it like helps not to be, you know, like I said, I think you nailed it actually. It's just like find people who kind of are better at those things and more passionate at those things than you are. And, you know, stick to the things that you're really, really passionate about. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, 
if you're a writer, find someone who in your network that like creates prints and like loves creating prints or art or whatever and and kind of partner with them on on things and anything you can do at first, it's just like a hustle and a grind. And I, I don't think, I think sometimes people are kind of locked by their own indecision and they're just like so precious with everything that they won't, they won't kind of make any decisions because they're so scared to make the wrong decision. And I've made so many wrong decisions. I continue to make wrong decisions all the way along. And it's kind of like you just bounce off the walls and you're like, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. You know, it's like Winston Churchill said that success is is going from failure to failure to without losing your enthusiasm. And I think that's an important yeah, part. Yeah, love that. The other thing is my business coach had some really good advice the other day. And it's like, there's um, figuring out like where your genius is, like what like really gives you energy? What are you, what are you better at than than everyone else? And And really kind of, leaning into those kind of passions and is really important and kind of as soon as you can and like we all have to do it when we're starting out just but like as soon as you can just like find the things that take away so much of your energy and they're just like impossible to do and you know you just hate doing it and try to outsource those to someone you know find a partner find a you know for some people it's like counting or like bookkeeping or invoicing it's like Find someone to do those things because it'll make you so much, it'll free up your your whole soul. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, it was posting every day. Like I was very bad at just like batch scheduling and and whatever. And and I'd honestly say that was one of the one of the key turn points is like I just found people who were kind of enjoyed it. You know, that they, they they're like happy to get paid to to take, go through all the poems, get them ready schedule them and post them. Yeah. And that was incredible for me. So it's just those kind of little things that allow you to stay in your genius and continue doing what you do best, really. I love that so much. I'm in the process of that. There are parts of my business that I still work on, but I'm like, I need to find someone to help me with this because it's not my genius. Yeah. Right. (sighs) Yeah. It's imperfect. And we all kind of have to do the things we don't want to do a lot of the time. But you know, I think it's something to optimize for, for sure. What are the things mm-hmm. that you just hate doing? Um, I mean, like the anything operations and logistics side, admin, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> accounting and bookkeeping as well. Just I, yeah, I definitely, you know, I, I am a creative, like I love creating yeah. content. I also love writing. I love like being on camera oh. and things like that, but it's, it's everything behind the scenes. There's a lot behind yeah. the scenes that I like, I do have people helping me, but I think there are, I, I I'm still searching for key, I guess, higher level people to help kind of like your partners, like people like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you should like, I mean, you should say it on the podcast, like what exactly are you looking to fill? And maybe someone's yeah. listening, they'll, they'll email you I should. Yeah. <laughs> or put it in I, your show notes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I, I should put it out there. Put more. it out in the world. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I do want to talk about your book, LVOE. Um, do you yeah. pronounce it love or do you just call say it LVOE? I mean, I do both. It's like okay, I call it okay. love and I also call it LVOE. But okay. yeah, the kind of the idea behind it was, you know, in my definition of love is love is an imperfect thing. And I wanted to kind of show that, that imperfection. And I've always said that love is two imperfect things coming together to make something beautiful. And, and it's about kind of seeing past those imperfections. And, you know, we look at that cover and a lot of us see love, especially, you know, we see love, even though it says LVOE and 
you know, especially if you're kind of dyslexic mm-hmm. like I am, but it's, you kind of can see past the imperfections and see love. And I really wanted to celebrate, celebrate mm-hmm. that because I, I really do truly believe that that's in the definition of love. Yeah. What excites you the most about this new book? So one is, do you have a coffee, by the way? I need to, I'll make sure I get I you one if you don't. Okay, cool. Do yeah. So yes. if you touch it, it's like so soft, which I love. It's like touching butter. Mm. And I love how the reflective, like every time you take a picture of it, it's like a different book. It's just the builders of the book did it so mm-hmm. beautifully. And so it's, again, it has like my first three books. It's different. This is the first departure. But um, instead of photographs, I partnered with Daniel Winter, known as Winterstone on Instagram. And he's like one of the top tattoo artists, like thin line tattoo artists on on the planet. And he did all the art. And each piece of art on this Ooh. thing is uh, in this book is is an actual tattoo. So off someone's skin. Ooh, yeah. very cool. Yeah. So oh, nice. I think that's like a really cool story. And I think it really brings the words alive. I think it's beautiful. And it goes really well with like half the poems are my handwriting. And I think that, um, yeah, it just all flows, flows mm. together really well. And the other thing is, is if you've read any of my, my first three books is it's kind of like this, this battle through the dark towards the light. And I think that LVOE is the first time that it's like yeah. steps out into the light and it's like positive and happy and, and joyful. And I think that's just kind of more of like where I am in my life, honestly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's reflective of what you're going through right now. Cause I heard that you are engaged. And so you're, you're probably feeling <laughs> like uh, in the clouds, right? Yeah, I am. She's wonderful and she's a cardiac nurse. And so she's, she's mending hearts. We're both mending hearts in wow. our own way, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> mending that. broken hearts. Um, and the other thing is like, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look at the book sideways, there's a really faint rainbow in the pages. Mm-hmm. And that's like the nod uh, to the LGBTQT uh, world who who are just like, they're like wonderfully, have been so wonderfully supportive of me. And I'm, you know, I just wanted to kind of shout, shout that back. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, okay, so I, let's, let's talk about love. Like, what is your <laughs> advice? Or staying in love <laughs> since you're engaged? Yeah, staying in love or, or getting in love. I think it's like two different two different things. You want to talk yeah. about both? Let's, yeah, talk yeah. About, yeah, let's talk about finding love first and then staying in love. Yeah, so the one thing I will say about getting in love is, is and I'll equate it to some really good writing advice. And, and it was Bukowski who said, the best thing to do if you really want to write well is don't try. And, you know, what he meant by that, I think, is is that don't set out and put all this pressure on yourself and be like, I need to write the best piece of work that's ever been done right now. I mean, you know, it's good to have goals, but it's also just like, it's hard when you kind of have that like block of of like, this needs to be amazing to write something amazing for me personally, and I know a lot of other people. And so the kind of idea of like, don't try, just like, enjoy it, love it, like, find your love for writing and, and then the flow will come, I think is a really powerful advice. And as it equates to love is the moment you stop looking so aggressively for love is, is so often when it arrives. And I think it's important to say that it's like, it's not about like not looking for love or putting blocks up for love, but it's like taking kind of pressure off yourself, working on yourself, which I think is, is the most powerful thing you can do because and I'm like, I've done this too. And I think a lot of us have done this is like, sometimes when we're not feeling like 
completely ourselves or pieces are missing. We're so desperate to find someone to kind of fill those gaps in our soul. And I think it's, it's a really the wrong way to enter a relationship yeah. or to search for a relationship. I think the best thing you can possibly do is work on yourself and get to know yourself so well, feel so comfortable, so confident, so happy being yourself and like showing up in the world. And that energy that you create once you've kind of are going in that direction, it's intoxicating. It's like this person is so comfortable with being themselves and I want that in my, you know, in my life and you, you radiate it. And so I've always seen the people who are just like hustling for themselves. You know, it's like they've got balance and, and they're coming into the world as a whole person. Those are the people that just like, whether they like it or not, just fall, fall into a relationship, you know, even if they're not searching for it. And so that's like kind of my best, honest advice about, <laughs> about how to find, find love. I truly do believe yeah. that. And I know that it's worked for me and so many other people that I know that are in strong relationships. And then staying in love, I think it's, um, it sounds trite, but it's working on it all the time. It's like, it's like doing the work. It's progressing yourself all the time. You know, I find like I'm always like searching for like the next kind of growth class or like experience that I think will make me a better person, show up as a better person in the world. I'm always trying to optimize for, for kind of like family and relationship and, and kind of long-term happiness. And I think that's about balance and trust and safety. And one of the greatest hacks, I think that that's completely overshadowed off, often or forgotten is that, especially for, for men, I think, I think it, some men find this almost impossible. And it's, it's unfortunately just a product of how our generation was raised. And it's not the boy's fault. It's just how, how we were raised, but it's like the inability to be vulnerable. And the, the idea that vul vulnerability is like a weakness. And I truly believe that the only way you can really find connection, true connection, true love is through like trust and vulnerability. The more vulnerable you are, you're kind of giving pieces yourself to each other. That's very, very powerful. Yeah, no, I completely love and agree with what you said. I think a lot of our listeners are female and I, I'm sure, like I can relate to being with you know, men who don't know how to be vulnerable. And so do you have advice for, for the ladies <laughs> from a male's perspective? Is there anything yeah. we can do or is it more of like you let them open up on their own time sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to push. And, you know, I think the danger yeah. of it is if you do push, it's like you kind of risk them shutting down or pulling away even more. Exactly. And another thing I, I will add to that is like, it's such an imperfect science. And, and like, believe me, like this, this has been a, I'm like such a culprit. Like I used to have huge guards up my whole, you know, younger dating life because of like past traumas and, and just like relationships with, you know, the females in my life. And it's been this, this, like this kind of like, um, slow growth growing up thing. And, Unfortunately, I think women like mature so much faster in so many ways than, than men. And they're just, they're also fostered by society to be more vulnerable. So I think it's like, um, you know, it's a patience thing. I, I find that, that men, it, it takes often into their thirties mm -hmm. plus 
to like really, you know, but one thing I've seen is that it really does happen for most men. They're, they kind of like the path towards vulnerability and just like, you know, it does happen. It just kind of takes a while. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think it's like a, just a part of men's testosterone getting reducing and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> have patience with the, the men right. in your lives is what I, what I would say. And, and again, like okay. do the work, you know, it's like it, there's these incredible like classes, like um, you may have heard of them, but they're things like Landmark and Hoffman and the Atlas Project. And, you know, mm-hmm. those are kind of like uh, super master classes in vulnerability. So like, I would definitely encourage either going yourself and then, mm-hmm. you know, from there, encouraging the men in your life to go do something like that. I found that kind of thing really, really helps. You know, anything heart opening is very, very powerful. And, and all of those those things, they, they might seem expensive or whatever, but there are scholarships. There are like, um, you know, for, for people who are listening that thinks it's out of reach, there's lots of kind of scholarship options and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you have to work on yourself, like do the work yourself first. And then in time, I like being a better person individually will end up in a better relationship. And also another thing I do want to add is like, I found that you have to be vulnerable first if you want someone else to open up. It's like you you lead by example in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. ah, absolutely. I mean, I truly believe that the best thing you can do is like, if you continue to grow, you know, they're going to either be inspired by it or like follow the lead or like, you know, or whatever, or you're going to grow, grow way past them and, and evolve way past them and just be like, you know what? This relationship isn't evolving in the way I want it to. And uh, I don't think I should be in this relationship anymore. And I, I think that that's a really powerful thing too, because when, if you're just working on yourself throughout your relationship and you're kind of continuing to grow, you're going to be in a really yeah. good place to know, you know, this is kind of a, like an, a non-constructive, non-supportive relationship. And you're going to have the confidence to be like, I'm out of here. You know, it's like, you're not treating me the way I feel like I, I deserve to be treated that I, and I'm out of here. And so. Yeah. You're totally right and work on yourself and that's the magic. Yeah. It's the hack and it's at least for me. Yeah. Okay, Atticus, if you were to leave the listeners with one final thought, whether it's words of advice or or just anything you want to put out into the world, what would it be? I would say so many people have words inside them. And I say words, but it could be art, it could be paintings, it could be songs, it could be dance. And so many people die with those words inside them. And so I would say, don't let that art stay inside. Put them down on paper, put them out in the sound waves or, or write them in a book. And don't be afraid what the world thinks because life's far too short. So beautiful. As an artist, as a creative, like I love hearing that. I, I agree, everybody. Just create don't judge yourself. Just put it, create and put it out there. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So where can we find you online? I'm on, I mean, you can just Google Atticus Poetry. I'm on Atticus Poetry on Instagram and all the socials, Pinterest, you name it. The wine's called Lost Poet. The coffee's called Poet Coffee. And uh, yeah, find me anywhere. Message me, DM me, say hi. <laughs> 
Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. Everyone, make sure you check out Atticus Poetry. We'll link everything that he mentioned in the show notes down below. Amazing. Thanks, Eileen. Thanks so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like the podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also subscribe to our podcast YouTube channel at youtube.com slash lifestyle. Lastly, follow me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender for more content on creating your dream life. Sending you so much love. Bye.